10, 9, ignition sequence starts. 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0, all engine running. Liftoff, we have a liftoff. That's one small step for man, one giant hop for out here having a pint. Hey, you little craft beard nerds. Welcome to Out Here Having a Pint. This is your host, Pup Dog in the house. And with me always, um, not to my left, but virtually, I guess, to my left, we have uh, Kelsey. Kelsey's in the house. Kelsey, how you doing? I'm good. I'm here. You're here. Um, I think Brandon's still um, off uh, to the side. He's probably getting some proper beers. Uh, hey. You know what? Yeah, right. he, he's there right now. So uh, without further ado, so we do have a guest today, um, and I don't want to keep him um, waiting. Um, he, uh, and I'm just going to bring him right on in, and then we're going to introduce him. Are you guys ready for this? We're I'm, ready. I'm excited. Excited for this. I'm, I'm, we're bringing him into the podcast uh, right now, uh, live on Facebook, uh, as a matter of fact. Hang on. All right. All right. Uh, Keith, can you hear us? We're connecting to his audio right now. There. There, there you there. go. Are there you we ready? go. All right, so um, with us today is uh, Dr. Keith Villa in the house on Out Here Having a Pipe podcast. We were actually uh, live on Facebook. I didn't know if uh, um, your um, your marketing guy told you that. So just I just want to put that out there just in case. He was like, oh, my God, I'm live. That's <laughs> fine with me. Okay. <laughs> Very nice. All right, so. Very excited to have the guest on because I'm going to give you a backstory. Because um, first of all, introductions. Um, tell us a little bit about um, what you did in the past, and then what are you know what are you known for, and what are you doing right now? Okay, sure. No, glad glad to do that. But first of all, yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, it's a lot of fun. I've heard about your podcast. Sounds like fun. Uh, do not lack any kind of fun. So right for sure. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so yeah, um, as far as me, I've been a brewer for quite some time. Uh, I think I started home brewing back in about 1982 and became a professional brewer in 1986. Hmm. I went to get my PhD in brewing from the University of Brussels in Belgium uh, in 1988. And then, uh, um, yeah, I, was, I lived over there and uh, my wife and I actually lived there and uh, spent time. That was before Belgium was really known as as this beer paradise outside of Belgium. In in Belgium, the country of Belgium, back then, the people, the natives, knew it was it was really a, a paradise for beer. But outside of Belgium, it still hadn't been discovered yet, and so it was really a cool time to be there. Um, so I worked on my PhD. Uh, let's see, it was at the University of Brussels in Belgium. The um, Guess one thing you should know is that uh, there are, I believe, four or five universities in the small country of Belgium where you can actually get a PhD in brewing. And I was at the University of Brussels, as I said. The University of Brussels uh, consists of two universities. One is the Flemish-speaking, the other is the French-speaking. So 
I was enrolled in the Flemish speaking side. So I had to learn Flemish, which is an old version of, of Dutch. And then I actually had to learn French because the brewing school was located on the French campus. And so, uh, so you, you've got to learn languages when you're over there. Um, let's see, I did my PhD on uh, yeast. Uh, gosh, to, to simplify it, when you lager a beer, the main reason that you're lagering it is to get rid of some of the off flavors in green beer. One of the primary off flavors is called diacetyl, which is a buttery smelling compound. And so my whole doctoral thesis was trying to figure out how to get yeast to not make that buttery flavor so that you can have a more rapid uh, aging time or lagering time. So, so I did that, uh, defended my, my doctoral dissertation, graduated with ma magna cum laude. Um, let's see. And I, I guess one interesting fact is that Belgium is a socialized country. So socialized, uh, my yearly tuition ended up being about $98. I was able to get a, a PhD in brewing for less than $400. <laughs> less than I spent in beer in a month, I think. Yeah. So, <laughs> it was, well, well, the cool part was that the brewing school was located on the food, industry's camp, food industry campus. And so uh, I learned... Um, on the campus, they had the chocolate making school, the culinary school where they taught the chefs how to cook, the hotel restaurant management school, all that. So we were really, um, we, you know, we learned about all the different things, how to pair beer with food and everything back before it was even popular here in the States. And so, um, so I came back um, and I, I should also take a step back and say that I was uh, sponsored by Coors Brewing Company back then. And, uh, and the way that worked out was because I originally was gonna become a pediatrician. So I was headed to medical school. Oh, and, wow, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and, and Coors was looking for someone to do uh, brewing fermentation research. And uh, so I had done a lot of work as an undergrad at the University of Colorado to try to get into medical school. So I, I, I worked as hard as I could. I uh, co-authored a couple of articles, which back in those days, that was almost unheard of for an undergrad to co-author something. But I, I worked really hard. Um, and it's funny because uh, right before graduation from undergrad, uh, that's when Coors was looking for someone to do research. And I was a home brewer because uh, back in those days, it was, gosh, I started in uh, 86. I graduated in 1986. Um, from the from University of Colorado as an undergrad, and uh, a lot of people don't realize that home brewing was only made legal in the United States in 1978. So when I started at the university, it was 80. It was actually 1981, and when I started, home brewing was only legal for like three years. So it was still something new, and the. Um, Folks up in Boulder, where the, the Brewers Association and the American Homebrewing Association are headquartered, um, back then they used to hand out leaflets and everything saying, you know, learn how to brew, learn how to homebrew. And I just happened to pick one up one time because um, these these were people back then. I don't know. They they were handing out stuff and you never know if they're Harry Krishnas or Jesus freaks or if they're brewing freaks. <laughs> 
So I, you know, you pick up what they're handing out to be nice. And I, I looked and it said, learn how to homebrew. And I didn't realize you could do that back then. Cause I, I was on a track to become a doctor and I thought this sounds cool. Cause I, I like beer. <laughs> and so, so I, I learned how to homebrew and it was a hobby while I was an undergrad. And uh, it, it was about 1982 ish, 1981, 82. And then, um, yeah, so, so when I graduated, that's when uh, Coors was looking for someone to do re- research. And I had been working so hard to get into medical school that I was qualified to do everything they were asking. And there were a bunch of bunch of students that uh, went to Coors, the Coors Brewery in Golden, which is just literally down the highway from Boulder. And um, a lot of people showed up to, you know, to see what this job was they, they were looking to fill. And um, I went in, talked to them and said for basically all the stuff I was doing as, a, as an undergrad. And so they said I was the most qualified and they said, we'd like to hire you the day after you graduate. So that's when I had to ask myself, you know, do I want to work with sick people or beer? And I thought, I'll, I'll try beer for a year. If I don't like it, I'll, I'll, I'll go back to school. And, um, and I loved it. I, I started there. I loved it. And that's when I told them uh, after about two years, because uh, I wanted to make sure I, I really liked it instead of going to medical school. So, so I loved it. And I told them after two years, I was going to quit and go back to Boulder to get my PhD. That's when they said, uh, what if we send you to Belgium to get your PhD in brewing? And I said, sure. So they, they paid the way all $98 every year. <laughs> and uh, um, at the end, I had a PhD, uh, came back, and then I, I convinced them to give me money to start uh, uh, Blue Moon, what became Blue Moon Brewing Company. Because the uh, back then, uh, craft beer was called micro-brewed beer. People mm-hmm. didn't call it craft. It was, it was micro-brewed beer. And when I was going to launch Blue Moon, the whole mentality around craft beer was such that people thought of craft beer as amber colored ales. So uh, uh, I I should say that like fat tire wasn't even big back then. Sierra Nevada wasn't huge. The biggest amber ales were Killian's red Irish ale, which was the number one selling craft micro brewed beer. Number two was red dog from or red wolf from um, yeah. Anheuser-Busch. I remember, yeah. I remember both. I think both of those were actually existed. I was going to say, I remember <laughs> and have lost memory because of both of those. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, so, so I had convinced Coors to give me funding to, to start this little craft brewery, which uh, um, I, I was going to focus on making Belgian beers because I had lived there in Belgium for four years, and, and I, I knew that that culture and everything about beer would make its way to the States because back then, you know, doing beer dinners, that was unheard of doing, doing anything with beer, uh, except for drinking light beers. That's, that's pretty much what beer was in the States. But I, I I lived it over there and I said, this is cool. This is going to come to the States. And of course the folks at Coors didn't really believe me um, because they had the, the top two new beer products in 94, 95, they actually uh, had the rights to make Killian's Red. They had, uh, they had purchased the rights from uh, Heineken. Heineken owns the rights to Killian's. And so Coors, they got those rights and they were making Killian's and it was the number one selling microbrewed beer. They had also introduced this new thing called Zima. And, oh, uh, Zima. Love it. Yeah. Um, not, no, not, not myself. 
Not myself love it, but don't lie, Kevin. Don't yeah. lie. You dropped jelly beans and knows like it was your job. All yeah. right, Kevin. I sent I sent that to so many parties and oh the ladies loved it. I'm just telling you Play right now. Malt beverages, baby. <laughs> <laughs> well, we could all admit it. We've probably tried Zima, so <laughs> nothing to be ashamed of. So so anyway, yeah. So uh, they had Zima, they had Killian's. And so they were really reluctant to give me any money for Blue Moon, but they did uh, with a stipulation that I could not brew it in Golden. So I had to look around and found a brewery up in uh, Utica, New York, and brewed it up there under contract. Um, it was really difficult because the folks at Coors, they they didn't like it from the from the very first day because it was Belgian. Um, they, they were expecting me to do something uh, German uh, because, uh, you know, like, Sam Adams, they had come out with their beers, Boston beer, which was more or less a uh, German-inspired uh, lager using lots of middle fruit hops. I mean, it was delicious beer. Um, so Coors expected me to do something like that. And when they saw this Belgian cloudy beer, they did not like it. And uh, they tried to kill it off several times. So I would jump in and, and call distributors or retailers where I knew it was selling. And I'd say, can you step in? Because if not, this is going to come to an end. So, uh, so I was trying to live or fight for the life of the, the brewery there. And then I, um, I created the Orange Slice Garnish in 1997 to highlight the, the orange peel it was brewed with. Because when I formulated uh, Blue Moon, I, I made it more or less uh, really likable for the American beer drinker, drink, beer drinking palate. Because uh, most back then, people really didn't have a big open mind for for beer it was if it wasn't amber ale it's like it's going to be really really tough mm. so I, I formulated it um, to have uh, Valencia orange peel uh, I used oats for a real uh, smooth creamy mouthfeel um, I had uh, what else uh, uh, malted wheat instead of uh, uh, raw wheat for a couple of reasons one was for more color golden color because the the darker it was, it was closer to an amber ale, even though, even though it was uh, uh, golden and it was cloudy, it was, it was, wasn't very pale and I didn't want it pale. So, uh, so everything worked really well. Um, first few years was really difficult. As I said, the folks at Coors tried to kill it off numerous times. They tried to kill off my 12 packs, my variety packs and everything that was tough. So I would, I would uh, do things like I created the orange garnish in 97 to get the beer noticed and to get things going. I created that uh, iconic 23 ounce uh, wheat beer glass in 1998. Uh, so from 90, 1998 forward, it, it looked like modern day blue moon. Um, yeah, and then it wasn't until 2001 that that brand started growing. So it was six years of just hard work from 95 to 2001. And by 2001, that's when the market had completely changed and people's minds were opened up to beer and everything. Um, and part of it was Blue Moon, but part of it was also uh, other craft brewers were getting out there trying to get people to drink uh, beers. But uh, very few were making beers that we know of today. Uh, IPAs had just started. Um, extreme beers were definitely not being made. I, I was crazy enough to be trying those things back then. And it was, it was if you look at uh, some of the old Great American Beer Festival things I was doing, I was doing like beers with peanut butter. Um, mm. Love 13, peanut butter. <laughs> you 13, want something over there. Yeah, peanut butter beer. 
I was doing wine beer hybrids. I was doing uh, high alcohol beers back then. And people thought those were just nasty. They thought they were crazy and stupid. And it's like, okay. So I I shelved a bunch of my recipes for years, just archived them, then rolled them out in the mid-2000s, late-2000s. And that's when the market had completely changed and people loved them then. But prior to that, I tested stuff in the 90s where people just did not want anything like that. Like I said, I did a peanut butter ale, peanut butter porter. I did uh, vanilla beers. I did herb and spice beers. I did a chicken beer. I did what else? I, I did like all chicken. <laughs> yeah, I did all kinds of stuff. And uh, they were ahead of their times because uh, people just didn't want that. But I, the one thing I focused on was Belgian white, uh, my Blue Moon Belgian white. And like I said, in 2001, that's when the market changed and it just started growing to the point where we couldn't make enough of it. And it grew, well, it's still growing. It's the number one selling, the biggest uh, craft beer brand in the U.S. and in the world. So uh, it's roughly, well, it's over, if you look in the press and everything, you'll see it's over 2 million barrels of just white, yeah. which is huge. So what, uh, when you was like, when you created Blue Moon, what dis, um, what company picked you up I mean, at the time? Because I, because for me, um, when I got into, of course, I was into light beers, and then it became, you know, uh, malt liquor, you know, back in when, like, the early 90s. And then I moved on to, I, I remember the Red Dogs when it first came out, and I actually remember the Blue Moon. Um, but, you know, when you started making the Blue Moon, who 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 picked you up and and, and distro you uh, across the across the nation? It was Coors, so okay. Coors. And it was, yep. It was really like I said, it was really tough because they they although they tried to kill it off, yeah. They, I, it was already in place for distributors to start distributing. Uh, however, what happened was a lot of distributors would take it and put it into Kroger, Safeway, uh, all these these uh, supermarkets. And it was, it was ahead of its time because they would try it for like three, three weeks to six weeks and then pull it because nobody was buying it. And it's like, oh, and I was thinking, man, this is, this is going to be over real quick because he's, he's buying this new, new product. And that's why I was really getting serious about getting, getting people to try it. So I would, I would get out and do beer dinners. Um, and this is when, when beer dinners were not done in the States. So, uh, so I'd get out and I'd say, let's, let's schedule a beer dinner. I'd go out to uh, New York City or any of the cities that have at least an open mind for, in regards to beer. Because back then there was a, a, a bar called the Ginger Man in, uh, I think that was New York City. There were a few specialty bars that specialized mainly in imports. They had a few uh, uh, domestic uh, micro-brewed beers, but very few. It was mainly imports that they did. Because uh, that, that's what people thought was really cool, and I said, "Okay, let's." I said, "We've got to schedule some uh, some beer dinners to get invite beer drinkers in. Let's do this." And and I remember talking to him, saying, uh, "You know, I'd say, Let, here we'll cook with this beer, we'll pair it up with that beer." And they thought I was crazy. They said, "You, you can't cook with beer. You can't pair." They said, "You only have wine with beer," and and, and so I, I showed them what to do because I brought over a bunch of stuff from Belgium, and I said, "Here here's a recipe for making this dish." With, with our brown ale or that dish with our, our honey our honey blonde ale. And so so they did it and it worked really well. And it's like, wow, this is cool. Let's do it again. But then when I, from that point, I said, here, you guys can continue doing this. 
I got to move on to some other places and, and keep spreading this, this word. So I did. Um, and like I said, it was, it was really tough back then just getting people to, to taste it. And what I found is once people went from tasting it, they went from being afraid of it because it was cloudy. It was Belgian brewed with orange peel. So they, they went from being afraid of it to falling in love with it, to recommending it to their friends. So it was really, really, it was, it was, uh, it was hard work, but uh, well worth it. And then um, it, as it grew, it just kept taking off. Um, let's see, and then I came out with a bunch of things, seasonals. Uh, I, I launched the very first nationally available pumpkin beer. That was 1995. Nobody wanted pumpkin beer back then. You're responsible for that. Okay, now we know how to blame. Well, <laughs> it was, it was before pumpkin latte spice and all those things. Uh, this was because when I launched, everybody, I remember everybody, uh, the distributors wanted a, um, an Oktoberfest. They said, they said, we want an Oktoberfest. And I said, no, everybody has that. Or if you can find a seasonal, that's what you get. I said, we're going to do a pumpkin ale because back then there was one pumpkin ale in the market. It wasn't national, but it was available in Colorado back then. It was brewed in, Hayward, California, something like that. It was called Buffalo Bill's Pumpkin Ale. And I remember I had tasted that in 1994. And I said, this this has potential and it's fall, it's cool. I'm gonna gonna create my own pumpkin ale. So I did and uh, launched it, 95. People tasted it, they didn't like it. (laughs) It's too weird. And I, I remember we started, gosh, at the very first, uh, very first year was maybe 1,600 or 1,800 barrels to fill the pipeline. And it grew to like 2,500 barrels the next year. And then it just started sinking. And in the year 2000, I think we, we only sold 50 or 60 barrels. And these are massive production quantities. We're talking yeah. 500 barrel brews. And when you sell 60 barrels, the rest goes down the drain. Nobody, nobody likes you. You're not, you're not there for <laughs> so uh the accountants really hate you then oh man it was it was tough and I, I remember i was under a lot of pressure to 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 just cut pumpkin ale and i said no we're gonna do it and so we did it and and there was an inflection point in about 2001 when the whole market turned and from that point on everybody wanted pumpkin ale and we couldn't make enough belgian white and we couldn't make enough pumpkin ale and it just it, it just started growing exponentially um and to this day, I think Blue Moon Pumpkin Ale is the, the biggest volume pumpkin beer in the marketplace. It's, is that the Harvest Moon product? It changed names several times. Okay. Harvest Moon, uh, Pumpkin Ale. Uh, uh, we Over the years, we changed names. and. Uh, but it, I mean, it's, solid, it's a solid brew. I mean, a lot of us have had that. So, that, I mean, you know, especially being craft beer nuts, it's a solid beer. So, yeah. And like I said, it was it was ahead of its time. Um but we weathered the storm because I, I didn't give up when people said to give up. Um, but yeah, everything turned out really well and it's still offered. I think, gosh, it's still the largest. As, as far as I know, it's the largest pumpkin ale brewed out there. I think if you look up the stats, I think it might, they might be making, because since I retired, I, I, I rarely, not rarely, I go up sometimes and talk to the folks up there. But um, the last time I was there, it they were making, I don't know, 40, 45,000 barrels a year. So it's, huh. a, it's a huge, huge uh, uh, volume of that. It's the biggest pumpkin brand in the U.S. Um, 
so yeah, so that, that turned out well, Blue Moon turned out really well and I was able to retire. So uh, uh, it, it was cool because in 2000 and when was it? 2017, that's when I was able to retire. So uh, I, I, they gave me the chance to, to literally uh, walk out with a pension, my 401k plan, uh, pe- penalty free. I could access all that penalty free, cash in all my stock options, stock grants, penalty free, get health insurance for me and my family. Um, it was just, it was, it was just crazy. So I thought I'm going to do it. <laughs> and so in the brewing industry, take that and run. Yeah. My God, <laughs> that's fantastic. And that's awesome. That's such an awesome opportunity that they extended that to you. That's so, awesome. yeah, but, but I want to oh, ask, sir. but I want to ask though, you created blue moon and then uh-huh. course like c- controlled it a little bit and then you retired. So you couldn't like take it with you. They they had they they owned the rights at that I, point to. I signed, know. I signed everything over to them. Yes, so they've they've got a hundred percent of the rights. Um, and they they like I said, they gave me some stock and everything. So so uh, I, I was able to retire. So I did, and um, and so I, I I walked away and uh, um, and it's in good hands because the the brewery they they. Yeah. Obviously now it's a you know it's a billion dollar plus brand so it's it's a it's critical very profitable brand um, and and I talked to all the folks over there who uh, took it over and, and it's they're doing a great job with it it's uh, it's in twenty five countries but towards the end I I was running ragged because I I had launched it in all these countries and I you know I'd get back from a, a tour from Europe Asia South America come back home after living out of a suitcase then all of a sudden I, I had to, uh, to go do a beer dinner in New York city or down in Phoenix or over in Miami or else fly over to, to Hawaii. And then I'd get done with that. And then I, then I would, I'd have to fly on a plane back to New Zealand or Australia. And it, it was, it was grueling. And so, uh, uh, and if you fly, well, at least pre COVID, uh, your your uh, mileage that you fly if you fly more than a hundred thousand miles a year you're what's known as one k flyer on united at least because uh, i stuck with united so i was a one k flyer for several years it was just it was crazy and so that's 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 probably the main reason i retired is it just got so so crazy at the end and blue moon got so huge um and my wife and i said you know this is uh it'd be nice to just kind of stay and start something new and so that uh, that that's what kind of took us into the Syria uh, stage. But uh, yeah, do you have any questions about Blue Moon? Or uh, yes, yeah, so, well, I just got a comment about Blue Moon. So um, you know, everybody that listens to the podcast knows that Kelsey and I um, were married, and so when I, when we was first dating, uh, my go to would we would go to our local um, tap room in Bloomington, Indiana, and then. I would like buy her some blue moons. So blue moons is clo- close to our heart for a little bit. Cause um, yeah, I mean, when you get in the craft beer, then you start getting into IPAs, New England IPAs and all these. And then you just forget about some of the, um, you know, the more uh, distributed, uh, you know, beers out there. So you don't go, go back, you know, to blue moons, but though that is one of the first beers that Kelsey and I sat down and had some like great conversations and, and we got to know each other, which I thought that was great. Awesome. Well, that's, <laughs> well, it's, it's funny because, you know, 
as I talk to people, uh, not just not just now, but even even in the past, I've had people come up to me to tell me the Blue Moon got them into craft beer. Yep. I've had I've had fellow craft brewers. I'm not going to say which ones, but <laughs> a bunch of them said that Blue Moon is what inspired them to become a craft brewer. They said they tasted it. It was their gateway into craft beer, and that you know it allowed them to dip their toe into craft beer. And from that point on, they went into IPAs and everything, and they said, man, this is so awesome. I'm going to become a brewer. So so Blue Moon really inspired a lot of people to become craft brewers. And so it's it's really kind of neat. And, um, I, and to this day, I, I still get, once in a while, I'll get a, an email from somebody saying, thanks for creating Blue Moon, because it inspired me to become a brewer. Uh, so it really is kind of neat. Because it, it is, the profile is, is pretty much like a, a gateway craft taste for those people who are just hardcore Bud Light drinkers or Coors Light drinkers, you know, they, they can't just step into, into an Imperial IPA and like it. They, you know, they've got to transition and Blue Moon provided that transition step. And, and it was a safe, I guess, beer to come back to for those people that would uh, get into craft. I've heard this many times that Blue Moon became their beer of choice and, and, and not just their beer of choice, but then it opened their minds so that, their new beer of choice was up at this level versus uh, staying at like Bud Light, Coors Light, Miller Light. They, they transitioned up. So now their beer of choice was either Blue Moon, Fat Tire, Sam Adams. And from there, they would go deeper into IPAs, uh, Imperial Stouts and everything else. And uh, so, yeah, so it really... Uh, it was interesting to talk to, to folks over the years. Yeah, and- I think you're absolutely right because, I mean, it's a great flavorful, bursting flavors. I mean, there, there's nothing wrong ab- about that beer. Your, your palate's going to like it for sure. And anybody that's getting into craft beer, um, you know, I mean, not many people can like just run into IPAs or run into stouts, run into porters. But, man, yeah. if they did take – I mean, if I, if I put a blue moon in front of somebody – they would definitely, you know, uh, like it for sure. And I know when I, when, when Kelsey, uh, me and Kelsey, we, we had it. Ah, well, I mean, we drunk <laughs> plenty of pints of, of those blue moons back in the day for sure. Well, and plus I've, I've heard a lot of uh, stories, romance stories similar to yours where, you know, a guy wants to talk to a, a girl in a bar and he, he, he's not going to buy her an IPA, but buys her a blue moon, she just might talk to him. Ah. <laughs> That is true. This is true. <laughs> Kelsey, is that is Kelsey? Is that how I picked you up? Was did the blue moons do it for you? Man, I gotta get. I gotta give Keith some money. <laughs> I got a question for you. So you yeah. talked about your career development. You know, starting which is an amazing story. You know, starting with the getting to go to college and brewing sciences and all that, and then moving into a production-based role with cores under the Blue Moon label. And now you've got, you know, and then it sounds like you move much more into like a business development slash relationship development role after that sort of thing, you know, brand ambassador of Blue Moon. Yeah. You've got Syria now. What is your role in with that? How has that progressed? I mean, I'll be very honest. I'm very curious about, especially a non-alcoholic product, it's becoming a huge part of the market segment very quickly. So where are you at as far as professionally with that? And what has your experience been? So uh, when I retired, the reason I retired is my wife and I got to the point, like I said, uh, Blue Moon had become so huge and I was traveling, living out of a suitcase. Um, And it was fun. I mean, if I was your age, it's like, it'd be fun because 
yeah, you're good looking. You're this young guy. You could get out on the road and stuff. So you'd be cool. But for me, it was, we got to the point, it was grueling. And so my wife and I said, you know, uh, we can restart and uh, we love beers. So let's, let's stay in the beer world. So what out there looks like fun. And so we looked and, and the thing that really appealed to us was, was the, uh, uh, the fact that there were two things. Uh, number one was cannabis had just become legal. And we thought, you know, that that's really cool. And then we also uh, saw that uh, we would have to do an NA beer because what we, what we finally settled on was, was let's get into cannabis, but let's bring it to people in a socially acceptable format. Because uh, when we launched, uh, there really weren't a lot of beverages with cannabis. It was mainly smokables, uh, vape pens, flour. There were, there were some edibles, gummies and stuff, but not very many drinkables. And we thought, let's make a beer uh, where we remove the alcohol, replace it with cannabis so that you have the great taste of craft beer with the effects of, of cannabis, taste of cannabis. Because we, for us, the smell is okay of cannabis. It's We could take it or leave it, but... Uh, there's a lot of people out there that don't like the taste, the smell of cannabis when it's burning. They say, oh man, that smells like burned rubber, smells like a skunk, smells like a polecat. You know, there's all these people who, who hate the smell of cannabis burning and they just don't like it. And so we thought, okay, let's, let's make sure we don't have the smell of cannabis. Let's have the effects to kind of mimic the effects of alcohol. And so, and, and by the way, uh, cannabis THC, it's illegal to combine THC with alcohol in the same product. So, so just by law, federal law and state law, we were not allowed to have an alcoholic beer and put cannabis in it. So, so I really had to reach back to my, my, uh, my student days at the University of Brussels and figure out, because back then they showed us how to make great tasting craft style, uh, non-alcoholic beers. It was, it was amazing. They, they, but back then, I, I, you know, I took notes and everything, but I didn't really do anything with it because uh, there was no reason. But fast forward to 2017, 2018, and I needed to create great tasting uh, craft style non-alcoholic beers. So, um, so I got to work. I made a Belgian white. And um, actually, it's right. I brought it right here. So, so this is what we launched in 2018. This is our, uh, our Belgian white cannabis beer. We, we launched it, and uh, you can see it says uh, there's a THC warning. There's, uh, it's kind of dark blue. There's a child-resistant end. That's called the, the XO end. You, you pull up on this thing, and then you slide it, and um, it's child-resistant. Mm. And it's funny. <laughs> you, you learn, yeah, yeah it's, it's resistant against drunk guys, too. So, so they probably, probably won't be able to figure out how to open this thing. So... But we got to, to work, launch this in, in 2018, and uh, it, it started selling, and we thought, this is, this is really cool. But the one thing we noticed was that uh, a lot of people loved the taste of this, and they said, you know, it's non-alcoholic, because it's called out. It says de-alcoholized craft beer and all this, but um, they, they loved the taste, and they said they are tested for THC, so they said, can we provide this without the, the drug, because I'm talking about truck drivers, uh, first responders, police officers, military, all these people who were tested. And they, of course, 
nobody in their right mind is going to risk their job for a, a cannabis beer. And so we said, you know what? We make the non-alcoholic beer anyway. So instead of infusing with cannabis, we're going to make a fork in the road and some of it will get infused and some of it will go straight to packaging. And so we, we did that. We spent 2019 uh, coming up with the labels and everything. And, and, uh, and at the same time, we also launched another cannabis beer with as an IPA. It's a green. And you can see dispensaries are really nice. They stick stickers all over your logo and everything. But uh, great, great position. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but again, this is a, a 10 milligram um, uh, THC IPA. The, the, is that the CBD and THC product? The, the, the IPA does. The original grain wave does not. It's five milligrams because what I wanted to do was mimic the effects of alcohol. So the, uh, the alcoholic version of Blue Moon. So if you had a Blue Moon, it's 5.4% ABV. If you drink one, you're not going to get drunk. I mean, well, some people will get tipsy, but most people they'll get they'll get relaxed at five percent. They'll get relaxed, and so what I wanted to do was create a cannabis beer with that same type of relaxed feeling. And five milligrams will more or less get you relaxed. It won't get you stoned. It'll mimic the, the effects of a, of of like the moon. And and in this one, I wanted to mimic the effects of an IPA that has like an Imperial IPA that's sitting up around eight or ten percent ABV, and so ten milligrams will do that. You'll get a buzz, but I wanted it to be a real a mellow buzz, a relaxing buzz. So I put the CBD in there, ten milligrams of CBD to mellow out that buzz you get from this one. So when you drink a full can of this, twelve ounces, you will get buzz, but it'll be you'll be mellow, kind of like having a, a big pint of, of uh, Imperial IPA. Uh, and realize that almost all Imperials that you're served in a bar are going to be eight ounces. I'm talking about a full pint. So, so that's the, that's the buzz you'll get from this. So that was 2000 by 2020, we had both of these in the Colorado market and we had been working on launching our non-alcoholic non-infused beers. So, so we got to work and this is what we launched into the market is our grain wave non-infused non-alcoholic beer. And so you can see it's really different because some people, some people are afraid. They say, they say, well, you know, what if I accidentally buy the cannabis one and, and get high? I can't do that. And so it's like, don't worry. Number one, you can only find this in dispensaries. So there's no way this by law, um, whether it's Kroger, Publix, any of those, those grocery stores, there's no way they would ever risk their, their uh, reputation trying to find this and sell it. You can only get this by law in dispensaries. So, so they look different. This is dark blue. This is light blue. The uh, logo series, our, our Roman goddess of agriculture, her logo is a little bit bigger, um, but she still has uh, cannabis leaves and hop cones as a, a laurel to kind of remind us of where our roots are. Uh, but there's no child resistant end. It's a standard end. And there's no no cannabis warnings like that. It's just you know just standard uh, beer terminology, and so so yeah. So we launched that in 2020, and then we launched our IPA, which is our non-infused, non uh, what is it non-infused uh, uh, THC or non non THC uh, NA. And you can see again, it looks very different than the the THC version. Uh, 
no child resistant end, no THC warnings, and you could only get this in a dispensary, whereas this you can get anywhere because it's 0, 0.0. We we brew it with no alcohol, so it is even though the label says less than 0.5, it's actually alcohol free. It's zero zero. Yeah, we got we got we got this right now. We got our hands on it as well. Um, yeah. This was sent okay. to sent to us. No, n no, um, no things in it. It's just a uh, NA beer. We're gonna try this actually uh, live. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. Let's open this up. And then also, which, which, I would say let's do. If you have the grain wave, let's do that first, and we'll do. I've been yeah. drinking the grain wave. I was gonna say I've been drinking the grain wave. I do have a quick question. So you just mentioned right off the bat. So from brewer's perspective, and you know a bit of nerdery. You said that you are 0.0, .0 so you are you de-alkalizing or are you brewing it from the get-go without alcohol, if you don't mind me asking? It's, it's proprietary, but we have two okay. proprietary ways to do it. Um, they both make excellent beer, and uh, um, one of them is patent pending. So, Oh, awesome. That's exciting. It's so, so unique that it's, it is... Uh, uh, our lawyers told us that it's unique enough that we should patent it to protect it. So you know, we have a patent pending on our second process. Both of them are proprietary and allow us to make 0.0% alcohol beer. So, and that's mainly because there's a lot of people out there who don't even want a trace of beer. You know, mm -hmm. non-alcoholic, that's got, if you, if you look at uh, most of the non-alcoholic beers, they'll have a trace anywhere from 0.1 to 0.49. And there are a lot of people on medication. There's recovering alcoholics. There are Muslims, uh, religious people who who don't even want a trace of alcohol. So for those people, they search out zero zero, and so ours is zero zero. And this is our grain wave, which which is a Belgian white style beer. It's a has has a nice head, you know. It's just I brewed it to have a, a rich, thick head. Has a an aroma or orangey aroma. Color is, is hazy, um, golden, and in, in the taste, you could taste the. Um, it's got it's got body to it. It's not a um, one of these real watery non-alcoholic beers, and it's refreshing in in the summertime. Well, you, I actually. Sorry. Oh, sorry. I'm so I was going to ask a question because you you've been talking about the ones that are THC infused, and you have some that are CBD you know, um, infused, and then you have the non-alcoholic, but have you, have you split the difference and looked at any of the Delta eight aspects of things? Because those would provide a little bit of that cannabis like high, but it wouldn't have the psychedelic effects and it wouldn't necessarily always be traceable in like a P test, which is some of the other concerns that people have in ingesting non-alcoholic beers that are infused with THC. Right. So the Delta eight is kind of new and it's something that a lot of people are starting to talk more about because there aren't as many restrictions. And I didn't know if that was something that you guys had looked at as well. We have um, a little bit about for the listeners out there that aren't familiar with Delta eight. Uh, so the, the, the psychoactive cannabinoids in the plant, um, there, well, there, I should back up and say there's, there's over 100 cannabinoids in the cannabis plant Uh and the only distinction between hemp and marijuana is hemp has less than 0.3% dry weight THC. Marijuana has more than 0.3%. And the uh, Delta 9 THC is the one that gets you high. It's, right. it's, it's the intoxicating one. As, as it goes through your system, like as an edible, your liver uh, will eventually transform it into Delta 11. 
And that's, that's why if you have edibles, it takes a long time for the edibles to go through and, and get, uh, get processed. And then all of a sudden at the very end, it's Delta 11, which is even more potent. So you get a, by eating like a, a, a 10 milligram brownie or gummy, by the time it's gone through you, you get a really strong buzz because it turned, it's turned into Delta 11. What a lot of people don't know is that there exists in both hemp and marijuana another um, psychoactive component called Delta-8. It will give you a buzz at about 50% of the buzz you get from Delta-9. So it right. will get you high. If you if you get enough, drink enough Delta-8, it'll get you high. The government knows about it now because it's it, any, anything that's fun, the government finds out quickly and they, they'll step in. So it's just a matter of time before they, they make that one illegal too. So that's the reason we haven't gotten into that one because Delta nine for us is, is the key one. Delta eight works, yes, but uh, it's, it's, we don't wanna get it out there because by the time we get it out there, the government, they'll, they'll step in at any moment. It, it could be next week, next month, it could be six months from now, but they will mainly because it does make you high. And, uh, and they're gonna step in because uh, literally, you can extract it from hemp. Uh, kids can drink it, uh, get high schoolers. And, and that's that's the reason we're into beer is because beer has natural bitterness. Kids don't like bitterness, most kids. <laughs> when I was a kid, maybe pup dog, when you were a kid, you probably liked it. Damn it, you, you aged me. <laughs> maybe I should have shaved before the podcast. Yeah, but you were absolutely, you were absolutely right. I want to talk a little bit about the... Um, uh, the Great Wave Belgian style um, here that I got, which is yeah. which, which is right here. Now this this is the the straight up non alcohol, um, you know, uh, no THC or anything else like that. Man, yeah. you know what? This is the and I'm not blowing smoke up your ass. This is the best non alcohol beer. No, you're not. Yeah, that I've that I've tasted. Um, I work for Brewdog and we do um, non alcoholic beers. But this is so flavorful. I'm like, what is this? So yeah, this is great. As you said, it has a, like a, a a good frothy head on it as well. Um, I'm just amazed that this is like non-alcoholic for sure. This yeah and it, yeah this and again, is good. It's zero point zero, you know, because almost everybody who makes a craft non-alcoholic yeah point five of alcohol. Mm -hmm. so. No, this is a uh, this is fantastic. Everything down. Yeah. The biggest complaints I've seen about NA product is thin and watery. They lack body. They lack character. I mean, this is, yeah. I, would gladly, I would gladly substitute this for, you know, even for Blue Moon to be blasphemous. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's got this huge citrus <laughs> burst on the top of it. You've got, you know, just an excellent flavor expression. Um, this is a remarkable product. I, I have no, you know, I have, yeah. I'm, my opinions are drastically changed about NA products. Yeah, because uh, would you um, that it's truly zero point zero, knowing what the market normally permits. Right? Yeah, because when you're when you're drinking like non-alcoholic beers, um, and, and and people try to like mimic um, the you know maybe it's like malt forward or like they put some fruit in it, you know it's non-alcoholic because it just <laughs> yeah. watered down, just garbage, right? So, uh, man, this is like yeah. Uh, yeah, when I opened this can and I put it in, I said, like, all right, let's try it. I wasn't going to try it until, um, Keith, until you was actually on this. And then when I tasted it, I was like, what? what?
what is this? And I was like, non-alcoholic. Whoa, this is great. This this straight up tastes like a a beer. It, the body is like um, it's not light at all. It's like the, it's like a medium um, body on that. Man, I'm a I'm so amazed at this. Yeah, and I, I tried I tried to simulate um, Blue Moon and the Belgian whites in body <clears throat> flavor and everything because to me. If <clears throat> I'm a beer drinker, so so to me, I I I, I look out, I look for non-alcoholic beers so I can pace myself because you know mm-hmm. I'm drinking on a Friday night or at a bar or something. Um, I, I don't want to be that guy who's had one too many, <laughs> who you know nobody wants to be that guy. And so to me, I can pace myself with this. I can I can drink whatever I want and uh, you know one of those, one of these, one of those, and pace myself with this and still taste like beer. And I, and it looks like beer, smells like beer, tastes like beer, yep. but there's zero, zero alcohol. Yeah, and it's really hard to find uh, alcohol-free or low-alcohol beer that is true to what the can reads. Because mm-hmm. um, yours, it, it says orange pill and coriander, and that's exactly what you get out of this, yep. along with that nice medium, you know, body, that really good mouthfeel. Usually it's watered down and you're lacking a couple of flavors that's listed on the can. So this this is this is really impressive. Yeah, I mean this is this is an NA product without compromise. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing, is that usually when I'm drinking an NA product, I'm like, it's not bad for a non-alcoholic. No, this yeah. is this is straight up, this is this is good. Not even just not bad. This is good even in the competitive marketplace of a alcoholic beer. I mean, it's, it's a strong product. Yeah. And if you pay attention to this, this, uh, the head, uh, still, uh, retains and it's got a little bit of uh, good legs on that, um, as well, man, this yeah, is we, like, this is fantastic. Yeah. We, we brew it to have all everything that a beer should have. You know, we don't, we don't make any compromises and, uh, my, that's cause my wife and I, uh, Seria is a family-run company. My wife is the CEO. It's hard to find female CEOs of brewing companies and cannabis. She's also the CEO of our our uh, Seria Cannabis Company. So, which is only beer. We don't. That's the only thing we make is beer because we love beer. But so she's the CEO, uh, and she and I, as well as our daughter Catherine. Catherine, she works for us too. Like I said, we're a family-run organization. Um, we taste these beers. And nothing goes out unless we like the taste. And and since we, we like beer, you know, it's got to taste like beer. It's got to be beer. Um, in fact, I'm going to open up the, the um, IPA because. Yeah. Me, I opened IPA. that first, actually. <laughs> oh. <laughs> to me, the IPA, the Belgian white was critical. We had to get that right. Uh, um, the IPA, this is brewed. Uh, this one is really tough to brew because I wanted to get the taste of a, of a, of a the smell and taste of an IPA. Um, this one to me is, is comes in. Oh, there's, there's a lot of um, light IPAs out there, session IPAs. To me, this comes somewhere in between a session and a regular IPA in, in body and flavor. Um, and in aroma, we dry hop this with Cascade and Amarillo. So you should pick up, my favorite hops is Amarillo. Oh, man, I, I'm going to oh, love this one. It's a beautiful hop that has citrus character, an orange-like character. And so this one is, we, we again, we don't compromise. This one has, uh, it's dry hopped. We don't, we don't put any uh, liquid hops or anything like that. It's expensive to make. And look at that frothy head. 
Look at that for a non-alcoholic beer. This yeah. is amazing. This is so fantastic. And look at the color of that. And the aroma. It reminds me of like when Kelsey and I was like homebrewing in the barn uh, with uh, Rob Ecker, our buddy of ours. And it, this just takes me back to good old homebrewing and throwing yeah, those hops in. Yeah. So, let, yeah, so let's taste this. Yeah, let's. Okay, so with this, again, you get a really nice golden color because we put just a little bit of caramel malt in um, to really, uh, to, for, for me, just to give a hint of malt sweetness there. And we brew it to have a fantastic head and to have that body that you, that you look for in an IPA. Um, we dry hop it, like I said, or actually it's, it's brewed with, with uh, Citra, Amarillo, and Cascade, dry hopped with Amarillo and Cascade. And so the net result is, is an aroma that has lots of that uh, Amarillo orange citrus character. It just com comes right out again, because it's, it's dry hopped with pellets uh, in the taste. You should get, again, that really bright uh, uh, Amarillo Cascade flavor. Uh, it's got a little over 40, it's up 42, 45 IBUs. So it's not outrageous with IBUs, but it's definitely there. Yeah, definitely if you love the, um, if you love that hop flavor, man, if you love, if you appreciate hops, uh, if you appreciate anything about brewing, um, you know, this is in this liquid right now um, without the... Um, Alcohol, of course, but man, this is another good one. I like this one. And if you if you look, my glass, I've been mm. drinking lacing glass. As you as you um, drink it down, you see the lacing because again, it's it's uh, it's a very true to style to me uh, IPA that happens to have zero alcohol, and um, the only ingredients are hop. And this one, it's just hops, malt, and water, so nothing else. It's uh, um, but it's it's a it's a fun beer to make. We love to dry hop it, um, and and again, uh, it's roughly forty two IBUs. Uh, for me, it's got great body, and, and it's another one that I can pace myself with because I, I love Imperial IPAs. Um, so I, I I'll take a glass of Imperial, pace myself with a glass of this, and just keep going all night because it's uh, I, I love beer. I love drinking beer, and, uh, and these these are just fun and. From our perspective, uh, we, we have two offerings, but for me, those those uh, those are for now what we need. We'll come up with new ones in the future, but uh, the the Grain Wave to me is is perfect because you know my claim to fame is Blue Moon, so got to have a, a Belgian white, mm. and it, it's like Blue Moon but a little different because this is a blood orange peel that has this bright fruity citrusy character. Blue Moon is more Valencia orange peel, which is a little bit laid back but still bright. And then uh, the second beer we have is our Indie Wave, which uh, everybody's got to have an IPA out there. And we thought, let's do an IPA our way with Amarillo that has hints of orange, which is kind of like Blue Moon. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. We love it. Um, our beers, we think they're uh, good enough to be food friendly. Like our, our Belgian white, we say, you know, it's, it's just like a Belgian white. Pair it up with, with fish, with uh, white meat. Uh, you could pair it up with uh, you know any kind of seafood, and it goes really well. And our our IPA, <clears throat> we think it's got enough flavor and body to, to pair up with with a good a good piece of meat, uh, even a hamburger, pizza. Oh it, yes, indeed. Uh, yeah, and I, I love it with dark chocolate. It really goes nicely with dark chocolate. Hmm. Man, um, uh, 
So tell us a little bit about, I mean, are you in restaurants in your area now? What's it looking like as far as distribution outside of Colorado and that area for you guys? Are you very restaurant friendly or um, I know you said you can only do the THC in those particular. Colorado, yeah. yeah. So what's it looking like as far as getting this product to, you know, us in Indiana? Who? <laughs> so Kelsey's wanting, uh, Kelsey's yeah, wanting your beer. Where, where, where can we get your beer? So she's, you she's, asking, she's asking if I should go to Indiana and do yes. a personal beer dinner for you? Yes, that'd be awesome. <laughs> do a beer dinner for us, for sure. <laughs> well, well, so with distribution, we're, we started on the East Coast and we're working our way west. So we started in um, the upper Northeast and uh, we're gradually working our way west. We have, I think, 30, it's either 32 or 36 distributors that are carrying our product. Uh, we're also down in Puerto Rico. Um, and of course the distributors, you know, they, they go and, and form relationships with all the, their bars, restaurants, and they distribute to all those places. We still are building out our team to get salespeople out there to, to get into those restaurants and everything and say, hey, try this. Because right now it's really tough because, um, you know, our, since we're family run, we don't have this massive budget to do tastings of our products because it's almost, it reminds me of when I started Blue Moon. Back then, people looked at Blue Moon and they said, oh, this is, it's cloudy, it's its hazy, you know, it's brewed with orange peel. I'm not even going to try that. But but they went from, you know, after they tried it, they went from being afraid of it to falling in love with it to recommending it to their friends. And so what we're going to do is, is again, get people to to be to stop being afraid of non-alcoholic beers because so many people have tried Odules and all these other things, and they've said they've had a, a, a less than stellar experience because those beers are, are watery and not so flavorful. And for us, we're saying, okay, Seria is here. We, uh, you know, we've been around a few years. We know what we're doing. I have a PhD in brewing. Uh, we're family run, and uh, we think our beers taste good. So you know taste ours and go from being afraid of it to falling in love with it to recommending it to your friends. So that's where we are now. Um, we're being distributed. Uh, we're, we're in the process of hiring some folks to get out east and uh, start doing samplings and everything. And, uh, and then we'll just keep working our way west. It's basically what I did with Blue Moon. I started in the east, started working west and uh, got through the whole United States and but Blue Moon, like I said, that was really tough because n nobody liked it at the beginning. And uh, this, well, this is tough, too, because a, a lot of people don't like N.A. beers. They're afraid that they're going to be watery and flavorless. And, and this, to me, to me, our beers taste like beer. They smell like beer. They look like beer. They taste like beer. But they don't happen to have alcohol. You and know, I know you say that, Keith, but um, so uh, Kelsey and I, we work for uh, BrewDog. And we have a, a bar in Indianapolis, and there is a, uh, and so we do our own like non-alcoholic beers as well. We have a ton of people, a ton of people that call us 
and wanting to get every single NA beer that we have. And we, we also have a friend of ours that he goes nuts over non-alcoholic beers. So, I, I mean, I think it's growing, especially in the summertime yeah. when people want to get like um, kind of fit a little bit, want to exercise, but don't want that really heavy, heavy beer and maybe not want to get like intoxicated at the same time. And I'm just talking just for your um, just straight NA beers alone. Um, mm-hmm. I think I, I think it's growing. It's getting more popular. And um, I think you're going to see more NA beers in tap rooms and, and breweries as far as guest beers is concerned. And even like maybe breweries might be making their own um, non-alcoholic beers uh, locally uh, because there is a um, uh, people are like people are liking it and people are like grabbing it for sure. Yeah, no, you're right that there's a lot that are popping up on the market because every time I, I go to the, the liquor store, I see maybe two or three more new NA offerings from, from local craft brewers. However, when I see those, the first thing I do is send them a text to make sure that they're stabilizing them or pasteurizing them correctly because what a lot of craft brewers, you know, there's a lot that, that don't have science behind them. They were home brewers or, or whatever, and then they just became professional. And... Um, they don't realize that alcohol is the protective agent in beer that prevents the growth of pathogenic microorganisms. That's the reason beer can never make you sick. I mean, obviously, if you drink too much alcohol, <laughs> you'll get sick. But beer will never support the growth of uh, things like salmonella, you know, botulism, listeria, all those things that can kill a person. But once you remove the alcohol, it becomes susceptible to it. And um, that's why I get, I text people, fellow craft brewers, and I say, are you pasteurizing or making sure you're protecting your customer? And nine out of 10 times they say, what? I didn't know that could grow in there. And uh, you're a brewer, you should know this, you know, because you're a professional. If you're a home brewer, okay, yeah, I'll cut you slack. If you're a professional brewer, I don't care if you're a craft brewer, big brewer, whatever, You've, you should know this because you could kill your customers. And then I tell them the story of Odwalla Juice. Here in, in Colorado, Boulder, Colorado, there was a juice company called Odwalla, and they prided themselves on making and selling uh, non-pasteurized fruit juice because they said, oh, if you pasteurize it, it destroys all the vitamins that are naturally in there. And it destroys that rich, delicious, natural flavor of the fruit. And so they were doing that. And um, one batch, actually, they had some listeria infections. Luckily, that didn't hurt anybody. But then they ended up with an E. coli contamination in one batch of, I think it was apple juice. And it got out to the marketplace and it ended up killing a young girl and making like 65 people sick. And it's like, you know, they didn't mean to do it, but, you know, try saying that to the parents of that little girl who died. It's a, and that's why I, I go to my fellow craft brewers and I say, guys, you got to pasteurize this stuff because you'll kill somebody. You may not mean to. But maybe one of your, your guys will uh, uh, go to the bathroom, come back and not wash his hands and be around that filler, filler's filling. And then all of a sudden you've got stuff growing in your, in your beer. And then, and, and to me, that's the number one thing is to protect your customers. Don't make them, don't make them sick. Don't kill them. Um, <laughs> second thing is you got to protect your, your integrity of your brewery, because I can't tell you how many times I've been out to the market and I've, I've seen cans of, of some of our competitors and the bottom starts bulging out because stuff starts growing in their cans. And then pretty soon, you know, it's just, it's a bulge can that, that rocks like this on the shelf. 
And uh, it's like, guys, you, again, there's no excuse. If you're a craft brewer, you better know this before you get into it. Because if you're in into it just to make a quick buck, because maybe your sales are slow from, from COVID, it's like, don't do it, do it in a way that, that can kill people. Uh, this is, this is, that's inexcusable. Um, do something else, uh, sell your brewery and do something else. Don't, don't kill people just to make a quick dollar. So, yeah. So that's why there's a lot that are popping up in the market, but it's not easy to make a good tasting non-alcoholic beer. And it's not easy to know that it's got to be pasteurized to protect all of your customers. So that's, 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 and I, I get real passionate about that because, you know, it's just so, uh, it's just frustrating because people should know better. Yeah, I know um, for sure. Um, the non-alcoholic uh, market is is growing and growing, and I see more and more of it. Um, to this day, I think um, uh, Kelsey, Brandon, Kelly, I'm going to throw this out here. I, I think this so far this is the best all-around non-alcoholic beer that I've tasted, only because of the flavor plus the body. Plus, I mean, just it just it tastes like beer. Eat. It does not taste like non-alcoholic beer. It straight up tastes like beer. And and with that in mind, just a quick question, because I know there are other, you know, large NA brands, not even going to name them, but have you guys, or do you guys do direct-to-customer sales yet? Are you doing direct-to-customer shipping yet? Yeah, if, if you go on Amazon, you, you, uh, you'll see that our products are available on Amazon. Awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. And, uh, and I can say that I am not an IPA fan, and I liked this. I, I, the Belgium, totally solid, but that IPA, I was absolutely floored to try right now. I, I am not an IPA girl. Um, I'll drink pretty much anything else you put in front of me, but that is a solid offering. I would drink that with a burger. I would drink that with a pizza. Hands well, down. Great. Well, Hands well down. thank you. And you can drink them at work too, because there's no alcohol. In it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You can <laughs> I am really happy. Yeah, I'm really happy that you you just suggested that. I I'm an accountant for a, a nonprofit, so my my existence is exceedingly boring. And anything that can help with that kind of shit would be great. Yes, yes. I don't know, Kelly. They might bring you to in the office. Say we're gonna have to talk to you because it looks like you was drinking beer on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> As she stares at them and cracks a can. Yep, yep. That's so, right. It's not alcoholic, baby. I can drink it all day long if I want. <laughs> <laughs> I know you mentioned that these are like, you know, your core two right now. Are there any flavors that you can talk about? Any styles that are coming out soon? Um, anything that's in the works right now that's different than your your grain wave and your hoppy? We, we are experimenting all the time. So we've got lots of things we're working on. Um, what we do is we have a, a pilot brewery uh, here in our um, offices, and um, it's uh, it allows us to make pretty much any style that we want. And so we can do that. However, we're still not distributed in all the states we want to be in. So, so our goal is to get out to all those states with our two main offerings, get those growing. And then if, if people want, we can start launching other things. But for us, it's real critical to get out there first with with just oh, be yeah. market because um, we, you know, we've got competitors out there, non-alcoholic uh, craft beer competitors, and uh, there aren't very many right now because the market's still pretty small. But for us, uh, we just want to get out there because we, we feel that our beers are the best ones out there that taste really like beer. Uh, the rest of them out there, there are some good ones. Um, and, and for me, I guess my, 
since my whole life has revolved around beer from, from gosh, from the early days, um, I love all beers. To me, there's no such thing as a bad beer. It's just overpriced. And so in, in that regard, there's some overpriced NA beers out there. Um, and there's some that, that taste okay. Um, but from my, from my perspective, there's not a lot of them that really taste like beer. You know, like, like, like you just had a beer. For me, for me, I want ours to taste just like beer so that when you taste it, you know, uh, number one, you are, are in the, you know, you've got your, your glass of beer and, and you're happy with it. You're happy with that flavor. You're happy with the fact that it's not going to give you a buzz. It can help pace your evening. Um, but your friends too, you know, your friends might say, are you drinking non-alcoholic beer? You know, they look at you funny or something. And then you, you could look, you know, you show them and say, yeah, it's non-alcoholic. Do you want to taste? And they'll taste it and they'll say, wow. And, and that's, to me, that's real critical because I, I want to make sure that, that people are, well, I call it the wow factor. They taste it and they go, they go, wow, that tastes like beer. If it has the wow factor, we're there. And to me, our beers have the wow factor. Oh, yeah, so, you definitely did the wow factor for me for sure because I was really – like I said, I did not want to even pop these open until we interviewed you and I wanted to taste it. I was expecting a little bit more maybe a, a lighter taste with the, maybe um, – uh, sort of like a, like a hop water, uh, basically. But man, oh, yeah. I was so surprised about this body. And these are good for the designated drivers too. I mean, like yeah. Kel Kelsey and I will go out to different breweries, and we uh, one of us will stop drinking, and um, and because you know maybe we have to drive, or maybe we just both Uber. Who cares? But man, I can be satisfied saying, Kelsey, I will be designated driver. Just let me drink these non-alcoholic beers, and I will be satisfied because <laughs> it, it makes me feel a little bit full at the same at the same time. It, it doesn't make me feel super light. Um, it just, I, but I, but I know that it's like non-alcoholic, but it's got that big. I, the body flavors to me is just amazing. That's that's the main point for me. The 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 body of it. It's not light. It's like really medium. It's beery. It's like you're you're like drinking beer. And that's yeah, a, that, that, yeah, you're going to have to, you're going to have to take that secret with you, man, because <laughs> I'm pretty sure like a lot of people's going to say, how do they get, how do they get beer? Non-alcoholic beer to taste like this? Because like I said, I've never tasted a non-alcoholic beer that uh, is more fulfilling and just tastes like beer. Well, thank you very much because we, we really um, go through, through everything we can to make our beers taste like beer. Because as, as I said earlier, um, you know, we're a family run brewery. Uh, my wife's the CEO. I'm the brewmaster. Our daughter, she she helps in any, any way she can. And we do have other people too working for us. But um, for us, it's all about beer. It's got to tell, it's got to smell like beer, taste like beer. Uh, it's got to look like beer. Um, I mean, for me, our, our, our IPA, I, I love looking at the head. It's, it's, it's yeah. all natural. It's just brewed. We brew it to have a fantastic head uh, and it just lasts all the way to the last drop. And um, same with the grain wave that, that, you know, it's got a great head. Uh, it's so for us, it, again, it's all about beer. We, we, we love beer and we want to make sure that our customers have a great experience with our beers. And um, yeah, we hope, we hope uh, as we expand out that we can find our beers in restaurants. And uh, as you know, as COVID starts to ease up, um, well, both my wife and I get our vaccines on Thursday, the third, no, Tuesday, the 13th. Nice. So, so uh, after that, we, we really want to get out and, and uh, go to restaurants and, you know, do some tastings. So people, so uh, restaurant managers can taste our products and say, you know what, 
here's here's some new non-alcoholic beers in the marketplace. Uh, you know, you, we'd be happy if you just take some and try it and uh, see see what your customers think. Are you surprised at all at um, how people are adapting to the low alcohol, non-alcohol beers, especially Colorado and out west? Because I think it's I think some things are a little slower to catch on trend the further out east you get. So I'm curious about, you know, Colorado and out west, how people are adapting to that. They, it is growing uh, because mainly I think it's just the the quality today is better than it was when there was just O'Doul's and, and those brands. Um, but I think once they taste products that really taste like beer, like, like Seria, I think it's going to grow a lot faster because then people will say, wow, that's, that's just like beer. There, you know, there's really no, there's no compromise. <laughs> there's, you know, you don't have to give up your, your expectation that it's going to taste like water. Mm-hmm. I think all of that is, is helping to fuel the growth of non-alcoholic beer. And when you apply that to cannabis, uh, you know, our cannabis beers, same thing. People, uh, a lot of people don't realize that you can drink your cannabis. Uh, and, and like I said earlier, the reason we went into this market was because we wanted to have something that was socially acceptable, uh, nothing with smoke and all that. And, and with COVID, you know, COVID starts attacking the lungs. And, and a lot of people know that. And if you're smoking, uh, your lungs are susceptible, they're inflamed. Um, what else? You, and there's people with asthma out there that just can't be around smoke. And, you know, I know a lot of people with asthma. And, and if you're, if there's, if they're near smoke, you know, they, they start uh, wheezing and their lungs start closing up. So you, you want to make sure you, um, you know, you're nice to your friends and, and everybody you're around. And so uh, that's why we created this. And once people find out that there's, that you can actually drink your cannabis in the form of a beer um, that tastes like beer, a lot of people really get turned on and they say, wow, I'll, I'll take two of those. <laughs> yeah, Kelsey, Brandon, we, damn, we need to go out to Colorado and, and, get, the, and, get, and get and try those beers. <laughs> well, so, it, so you've talked, you, you know, we've talked about your non-alcohol beers, but I'm just out of curiosity. I would like to know what your favorite beer is, hmm. just in general. Favorite beer. So, so beer, so full strength alcoholic beer. Yeah. Um, Blue Moon. Well, aside from... You can aside say Blue from Moon. Blue Moon, since yeah. I, I created Blue Moon, so aside from Blue Moon, uh, one that I haven't created, um, wherever I am, I love to try the the local uh, brews um, because there's there's so many good ones to try, um, and and it's just uh, it makes it fun. Uh, but I guess if 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 I were to order something, um, gosh, I. I just I love a well-made IPA and I love a well-made Belgian beer. So, so with with IPAs, um, gosh, uh, Matt Brindleson from uh, Firestone Walker always makes fantastic hoppy beers. I like his his products. Um, what else? I like. Uh, well, I guess uh, there's one out of Vermont called Hetty Topper that's really uh, yes, the Elkmist. Yeah, yeah, that one is really. Heck yeah, they do a great job. And of course, Pliny, Pliny out ah, west. Oh yeah, Pliny, the older. Vinny, Vinny. Uh, Vinny Salurzo, yeah, yeah. He and his wife, I think, make some fantastic beers. So those those ones, I, I will search out. Um, and then Belgian beers, because I, since I lived over there and I, I went to so many of the breweries, um, my my uh, professor was a consultant in in most of the breweries. So when I was a graduate student, I would tag along with him and learn how to fix problems at the breweries, how to how to troubleshoot 
we would go to, to you name the brewery and we were there, uh, Duval, uh, all the sour breweries, the Trappist breweries. And so of all the Trappist breweries, I love West Hall Triple. That's, that's the one I always search for because it's just, I know how they make it. Um, when I lived there, I used to buy it by the case. Because um, uh, over there, you know, you, you could literally, you could go to either the, to the, the Trappist Brewery or you go to the store and buy it by the case. And they're just so delicious. Um, Trappist Breweries, it's kind of tough because there are some that still don't allow women inside. So, um, so I'd like to be a gentleman, you know, because my wife and everything. But uh, when it comes to beer, I say, honey, I'll be out. <laughs> Oh, uh, yes. So yeah, Brandon, we had um we had some Trappist beers uh, once at a at a location we cannot say, but we did we did have some. We had like what was the number one? Um, it was rated number one on Untapped. What was that, Brandon? West Veteran Twelve. Yeah. Oh, West Veteran. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's a decent beer to me. To me, it's really good. I, I wouldn't call it number one. I mean, that's uh, beers. It's subjective. List. Yeah, it frequently makes me the list, you know, makes all these one of those rate this beer list. I mean, and then St. Bernardist, you know, their 12 is a very similar replica, if you know the history on what all happened there as well. So, yeah. and it's a lot easier to get. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Um, yeah, but for me, it's always West Mall Triple because it's just such a classic beer. It's well-made. Um the yeast they use is, is fantastic. Bottle conditioned. It's just, uh, I love that beer. Um, but yeah, to me, to me I, I don't know. Like I said, there's no such thing as a bad beer. It's just overpriced. Yeah. And so yeah, so that's, it's, um, and it's fun. I think today is one of the best times ever to be a beer drinker because there's just so much choice out there. It's just, it's mind boggling. Um, and to me also, it's fun because uh, as a brewer, a brewmaster, um, I've got the science pretty much down pat. I've got the art pretty much down pat. I, I can make any style of beer. And because uh, uh, I've been in the business for so long um, and I, I have a PhD, I think there's only, I don't know, a handful of people in the world with a PhD in brewing from Belgium. Um, and uh, and plus with cannabis, that, that takes us into a whole new frontier. Right, for sure. And, yeah, and it's funny because I, I, uh, I was asked to write a few articles by the... Uh, Actually, no, uh, for Brewers Association in Boulder, headquarters of craft brewing, they asked me to write a, uh, an article on making non-alcoholic beer because there's so much interest by craft brewers. So, so I wrote that last year for the New Brewer, which is a, a magazine for, for uh, craft brewers. And um, so that was out. And in there, I, I talked heavily about the need for pasteurization because you know, you got to do that. Um, and then uh, I was asked to write a book about brewing with cannabis because it seems like states, every state, every six months, there's another state that's legalizing it. And so, uh, in fact, New York just, just legalized it. So, so yeah, with all the, the interest, they asked me to write a book. So I wrote a book. Uh, it'll be for sale starting August 1st. It, the title is called Brewing with Cannabis. So it's not very, <laughs> not very exciting, Brewing with Cannabis. But in there, I go into the, the history of cannabis, um, how to grow the plant. So, you know, if you're, if you're at home and want to grow it yourself, uh, because the States where it's legal, you're, you're almost always, you're allowed to grow like here in Colorado, any person can grow up to six plants. And to, uh, believe me, six plants is you apply yourself, your friends. That's a lot of, of product, but I, I go into how to, how to grow them successfully, how to harvest the, the buds 
how to use the plants to extract, how to extract the, the cannabinoids, how to make them water soluble so you can put it in, into your, your water, your beer, your whatever. Um, and then I, uh, I give some recipes. So I give just some, some uh, classic recipes as well as a bunch that I, I do or I've done. Um, I did a, uh, a peanut butter porter recipe where you put it on the stovetop to uh, uh, de-alcoholize it and then put cannabis in. I did a, what else? I, uh, that one's mine because I'm a peanut butter sucker. Anything for yeah. peanut butter, <laughs> that's it. You, you sold go. it. You sold me. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, uh, and in there, I also have a, a real um, a unique recipe. It's a 1970s uh, kind of a Smokey and the Bandit recipe. So you know, back then, the, in the 1970s, the loggers, American loggers were actually really flavorful. Typically, they were around 18 to 20 IBUs. Um, the, the body was, was uh, uh, bigger. Uh, alcohol was really imbalanced, so they were they were much more uh, robust than they are today. So, so I, I put together a 1970-ish lager recipe, and I made it so that you can take it in the sun. You could add cannabis to it and do anything, but you could take it in the sun and drink it in the sun. Because last year, my daughter and I published a, a poster on how to. Uh, prevent the light struck skunky flavor in beer. Cause you know, the last thing you want to do is, is take a glass of beer out by the pool, by the beach and drink it. Cause within a minute, you know, it's going to start smelling all skunky. Yeah, the and, light will kill it. Yep. Yeah. You don't want that. But uh, last year, my daughter and I, um, we figured out how to, how to prevent that flavor from forming in beer. So we published an article. We, we could have kept it secret and, patented it and made money off it. But from our perspective, we thought, let's open it up so that all brewers can, can use this technology. So, so we did. Um, so yeah, my daughter and I, she, uh, the, the, the way that came about is, is we, we were noticing how other industries are using copper to prevent the, the smell of, of sulfur in like the wine industry, the spirits industry. And my, my daughter's boyfriend, Frank is a, uh, uh, no, actually, not boyfriend. That's her her husband. <laughs> yeah, how time flies. <laughs> yeah, so he's a he's a, a distiller in Denver at a um, uh, craft distillery, and uh, they they drip their or they they run their um, distillate through copper columns to clean them up, and I've seen that a bunch of times because it's to clean up the sulfur. So my daughter and I thought, you know what, the the smell of skunk, the light struck reaction, it's MBT. That's a sulfur compound. What if we were to put a copper in to remove that or to prevent it? And so we did some tests and we found out that, yeah, a little bit of copper will prevent it from forming. And if, if, if it's already skunky, you put the, the, sulfur, the copper in and it'll reverse that smell. It won't reverse the chemical reaction. It'll reverse the sensory aspect so you won't smell the skunkiness so uh so we did that we published it and and uh, like i said we left it open so everybody because to me that's that would be really cool if craft brewers put a little bit in into their beer for the summertime so you could walk around with a really nice ipa in the sun you know just sit on the beach or sit by the pool or your backyard wherever and just drink a nice summertime beer without it going skunky mm. and yeah, so so uh, 
we should have named it something. Maybe the 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 the, the Catherine anti-skunking thing or the Syria anti-skunking uh, deal. But we didn't. We we uh, but. Who knows? In the future, hopefully, people will give us some credit. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Now that, that that eliminates the the smell. Does it eliminate the? Does it preserve flavor as well? The smell and the flavor of, of the um, skunk, that skunky stuff that's, mm. that you get from the sun. Yeah, it removes it all, so you you don't wow. smell it. And uh, and it's really nice. Uh, I mean, I, I guess. If you don't like your Heineken, you could put some in and <laughs> the smell of your Heineken. So it's it's clean smelling. I don't know. Of course, some people love that 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 skunkiness of Heineken and Corona too. Um, there's people who just love that that smell. So uh, yeah, I think uh, I think Corona's been in the sun so much that people ha- have don't, don't even know what it really tastes like at this point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, yeah, I yeah, I don't I don't want to disparage any of my. Bro- no, I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah, it's a joke. Yeah, yeah, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, it's a, it's um, at least with that technology, people can uh, um, use it. Fellow craft brewers, especially, can use it to, because there's here in Colorado, come summertime, and and hopefully by then, COVID will be in our rearview mirror. Um, there's going to be a bunch with you know outside seating, and and you can just sit there and drink some cool craft beers in the sun. And to me, that's that's just fun to just hang out and, and drink. Um, and if you can do it without your beer getting skunky, that's even better. Yeah, I remember when we was interviewing a brewery locally, and then we had a bunch of the uh, tasters out in the sun. And by the time we set up our equipment and we started in the interview, we could tell right away that the uh, that the beer was going skunk. And yeah, that's just a bummer for sure. Yeah, it is. But, uh, but yeah, but we, we we just have a lot of fun here. So. Yeah. To me, it's it's uh, it's just fun to 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 play around in our our uh, little brewery, and um, we have a two barrel pilot brewery here, and we're always doing stuff. We've got right now we've got a a wine beer hybrid made with Chardonnay grapes, so find its way into uh, um, the non alcoholic world sometime in the future. Um, we have a really good Vienna lager that we like, and that could find its way in. Um, yeah, so we've got we've got just a whole bunch of stuff. My, my daughter and her husband her husband made a a, a really nice uh, uh, dark Irish ale, so uh, that one could could be uh, one in the future. Just you know, just tons of things we're playing around with, and um, so and, we can find you on Amazon, right? And what's the typical mm-hmm. price point for if we wanted to purchase a pack of this on Amazon? Mm-hmm. Gosh, uh, I, that's a tough one because I don't buy it on Amazon. I don't buy. Oh, it. Well. Yeah, Kelsey, get on Amazon and find out yourself when, you know, but see, I mean, that's just, geez, Louise. Yeah. I, I think, I I'm think. I'm nothing for the listeners, but that's a fair point. Yeah, I, I apologize. I, I probably should have, have had the price of all that. I th- I think it's $7.99, a six-pack, maybe. Okay. No. And then yeah, we, we definitely need to go to Colorado, guys. And uh, just visit, and then get you know, try the um, the the other styles of the beers. I think that'd be f- yeah, really you, awesome. Yeah. Yeah, you guys, you guys need to try the cannabis I beer. Oh yes, yes. And then yes. pace yourself with a non-cannabis IPA, and you can feel the difference between what a, a ten milligram THC buzz feels like, right? Just a five milligram buzz, and then 
And don't worry, because even if all of you come out here to Colorado to visit us, we'll, we'll drink plenty of our beers, and then we'll make sure to call you an Uber so you get home. <laughs> that is You'll true. need it. <laughs> that is true. I think we're going to have to do that. Um, all right, so Keith, hour and 40 minutes. I don't want to take like a lot of your time. Um, I know you probably got some stuff to do uh, as well. Um, but yeah, so if... Um, if people want to follow you on, um, the, you know, your company on Instagram, I mean, w- yeah. uh, what's the social media? Do you, do you know it? So we're, we're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. Um, what else? All, all the different. We're on all those. Our, our daughter usually handles all that stuff. Okay. So, yeah. So just look us up. We're glad, glad to interact. All right, so um, that's it for Out Here Having a Pint Podcast. We're, uh, we interviewed uh, Dr. Keith Villaman. This beer, um, I'm going to say it right now, the best non-alcoholic beer that we've ever had. you got to uh, go out for it and, and try to get it. But if you can get the, the other versions um, in the other states besides <laughs> Indiana, you definitely got to try that. And, Keith, man, we're going to try to work our way out to Colorado, and then uh, we'll reach out to you, man. Maybe we can, ha- you know, have a pint together or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Love Thank it. Thank you I, for being on. I, we really appreciate your time. I love, uh, it's my pleasure. Uh, great spending time with you folks on this Sunday afternoon. So uh, so cheers. Syria, uh, pronunciation, it rhymes with area. So All right. some people, they wonder, area. how do you say that weird word? Rhymes with area. Um, we got that name from Ceres, the Roman goddess of agriculture. Well, that's it. So cheers. All right. Yeah. So after every episode, we raise our cans and glasses and we say, cheers, you little craft beer nerds. Woo-hoo. <laughs> cheers. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Keith, for for, uh, for coming to our podcast. Woo-hoo. Thank you guys for being such great hosts. All righty. <laughs> I thought it was.